Well, hello, Door of Hope Northeast and whoever else is listening out there on the interwebs. Um, This is Cameron, the pastor at Door of Hope Northeast, and this is another episode through our John devotional series. Um, This week, we have been focusing exclusively on chapter 17. And so for those of you that have been kind of keeping up, uh, you've hopefully read through this this chapter multiple times. Uh, hopefully by now you've had a chance to listen to John Barry's and Sam's uh, excellent little discussions through the first sections of, of, of chapter 17. Uh, but we're going to close out with the last few verses, verses 20 through 26. And uh, Monday, we will begin the next section. Just to to look ahead for a moment, we will be reading chapters 18 and 19. So again, uh, if you can want to space those out over the week, that's great. If you want to try to read those chapters once or twice through each day, that's great as well. However you want to do it, but we'll be focusing on those chapters. And then the following week, chapters 20 and 21, and that will be the end of John. And then from there... Uh, we will announce kind of what the agenda is, uh, especially as we're sort of forecasting what life is going to be like. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks from now, we may have a better idea of how long this sort of extreme quarantine is going to be uh, in place. Uh, maybe even an idea of when we may be able to gather again. Maybe not, uh, but we will uh, we'll make a plan for whatever the next the next season is going to look like. But for now, John 17. And I want to just begin uh, by noting something that's already been noted a couple of times, if you've been listening along, but John 17 is referred to as the high priestly prayer. Um, it's it's a this example of Jesus with his innermost closest disciples, taking them aside and praying to the Father in their presence. And so, uh, and specifically, he's praying for them. Uh, for all kinds of things. And, and so you see Jesus taking this priestly role as, as mediator between God and these people, the disciples, um, and interceding on their behalf. And so we just get this really beautiful insight into what Jesus's priorities were for his people in some ways, what was burdening Jesus's heart as he thought about uh, these men who had been traveling with him for years, ministering alongside him, befriending him. What was his prayer for these people? And um, as has been mentioned, it, it's it's natural and right to put ourselves on, on the receiving end of this as well. I mean, Jesus is praying for probably f- primarily for those immediately in his, like with him, the 11, Judas has departed at this point. And then probably secondarily that the larger network of disciples of people that had begun following after Jesus, uh, who, who didn't make this inner circle of the 11 or the 12. Um, but now we're going to turn to this last section of the prayer in, in chapter 17 and see it even get more personal for us here in, in the year 2020 two millennia later following Jesus's actual praying of this prayer. So I just want to read, I'll start with verses 20 through 23. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only. And so by that, he means his current disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their words or through the disciples word, that they may all be one, just as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. 
the glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may perfectly become one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So we'll pause there for now. But, but first I want you to notice the who here, because it's, it's very, very special, as I, as I just hinted at. He says, not only for these only, maybe the 11 that are present or, or the larger network of disciples that, that call Jesus Lord, but he extends his prayer beyond them to the ones who are going to believe through their words. And that's us, friends. <laughs> like, we are the ones who, who, who have come to Jesus because of the faithful witness of, of the disciples and then the disciples who came to faith from their words and then the disciples who came to faith from those people's words and so on and so on down through history uh, to, to here, to now, to today, to 2020. And so Jesus's prayer loops in us even specifically, us who have, who've, who've come to faith later, much later. But he prays for us. He prays with us in mind, nonetheless. Um, and so, just note that this is this is Jesus's prayer for you, listener. It's it's not abstract theology, um, although I love theology and and I love abstract theology. I think it's interesting. I think it's worthy. It's it's always good to to chew on the, the deep things of God, but. Here, we have something utterly, unmistakably, pointedly personal for you. This is how Jesus prays for you and for me. Even just the reality that Jesus does pray for you and for me, that he did pray for you and for me the night he was betrayed with probably all kinds of potential preoccupations in his mind, he chose to slow down and pray for you and for me. That's the who. Jesus is looping us into his prayer for us. So what's the what? What's the what? Well, Jesus prays specifically for unity. And this is kind of cyclical here um, amongst these verses. He kind of repeats and returns to the same ideas. But the idea is that he, he he's asking God for unity. And we see these six, six times you see the word that. Um, it's all the same word in the Greek. It's, and it's, um, it's either that or so that here in, in English in the ESV. Um, but the, the content of his prayer, what he's praying for, what's the aim of his prayer is revealed by these that statements. And we see several here. He says that they may all be one, that they all may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me, that they may be one, even as we are one Jesus and the father, that they may be perfectly one. And so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So every time he gives the, the purpose here, it's, it's for unity. And it's a unity. It, 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 there's a lot going on with this unity. It involves a unity first with one another. And then he points out in these verses that that one another unity reflects something uh, about unity within God. And then also it's unity, it's actual unity between us and God. And so it's unity kind of in every direction here. Uh, he specifically prays for, and this is just continuing a major New Testament theme. I mean, uh, uh, Heather Latimer helped us unpack this a few weeks ago, or I guess that was just last week. 
um, when she looked at John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another, just as I have loved you, that you are to love one another. By this, people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, unity is is a is a sub-thread of, of love, of mutual love. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul picks up this idea. He says, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's pleading with the Ephesian church to have unity, be humble and gentle and patient and bearing enough to have unity of the spirit and peace. Um, John himself, who captures this prayer, uh, is going to return to this idea repeatedly later when he writes the letter of 1 John that that we're going to pick back up once we're able to gather together. But this sentiment is all over that letter. It really made an impression on John. And then really, it's it's even just an elaboration of what Jesus called the great commandment. If you remember that story in Matthew 22, the, the Pharisees, uh, who are experts in the law, and this one particular that Matthew mentions was, was an expert in the law, tries to test Jesus and asks him, what is the greatest commandment? And then verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And so when Jesus is asked, what's the great commandment? It's love God and love people. And he kind of unites these together. And and throughout all of the scripture, these ideas are, are just wed. Like if you say you love God and you hate your neighbor or you hate your brother in Christ, there's something wrong. There's something amiss there. Uh, these two things, unity from brother to sister, is reflects something about the sincerity of our love and discipleship to Jesus. Jesus takes the same idea in, into this prayer, and he's praying, in effect, that we would have the strength, we would have the patience, we would have the wisdom, and whatever whatever other qualities are necessary to have unity amongst a group of sinful people like myself and like you. Because it takes a lot. It takes a lot to be unified. It takes a lot to be unified. And there are certain subjects and topics that come to mind that like as soon as they enter the fray, it feels like there's no hope at unity. If you're going to say anything at all, you're going to upend and dispel unity. Um, So it takes a lot. Jesus is praying here that God would provide his people everything necessary to have that unity. And I love the way that this commentator, Bruce Milne, puts this in, in the Bible Speaks Today commentary. That's a great little devotional kind of commentary if, if you're interested um, in one like that. I, I recommend it strongly. But he says there, relationships are to be such that the watching world will come to recognize not only that Jesus is the true revelation of God, but also that, quote, you have loved them even as you have loved me. Our churches are to be love centers where relationships between members are a persuasive reflection of the mutually supportive, utterly loyal, and eternally accepting love of the Father and the Son. That is a high bar for us, Door of Hope Northeast, and and it's a very high bar to even try to figure out what does it look like to dramatically, drastically, sacrificially, self-givingly love our brothers and sisters in the church and outside the church, 
during the age of coronavirus, when we're physically separated, and that's a theme that's come up time and time again on this devotional, but it's one we have to continue to ask. If this is what Jesus, one of Jesus's deepest desires for us, how can we make it a reality uh, during this particular time? It's a challenge during normal times. It's a, it's a double challenge now, but it's what Jesus prays for. So if that's the what, then the why is here as well. He, with these so that's, he says, so that the world will know, he says a couple of things, that God the Father sent Jesus. So uh, our unity is so that the world will know really that Jesus is worth trusting and following, that Jesus is from God. He's not some random teacher. He is from God and thus he is worth all obedience and trust and love and worship and everything else. And then he also says, so that the world will know that God loved them like Jesus. So they will know that God is for them, that God loves them. And and Milne in his commentary, the same one on this passage, he, he points it out really powerfully. Well, I'll just quote him here. The gospel proclaimed from the pulpit is either confirmed and thus immeasurably enhanced, or it's contradicted and hence immeasurably weakened by the quality of the relationship in the pews. And that really struck me. And that's that, and that's not just in the pews as well. I mean, as a, as a preacher, as someone who handles the word of God, um, I know that if, if I'm sitting up here week after week, or let's take right now, sitting at my computer <laughs> by myself, talking about the love of God, and yet my life is not marked by it in any meaningful sense. I don't know that any of you uh, owe it to, to pay a lick of attention to what I'm saying. At least it's hard to. Of course, we can speak truth and not live up to it. We do that all the time. Uh, that's why we need the gospel. But but there is a sense in which if we really want our message to be effective and received and it, with its fullness, we've got to live it with sincerity. We all hate hypocrisy. <laughs> um, and I think rightfully so. I think God hates hypocrisy. But that idea, man that whenever the gospel is proclaimed, it's either confirmed and enhanced or it's contradicted and weakened exactly by our relationships to one another, yours, mine, everyone's. That's powerful. So if we have unity, Jesus' prayer that we would have, his prayer is that we would have unity and that the world then would know that Jesus is worth trusting and that God is for them. And so our unity has stakes well, that's the first half of the prayer, at least some some parts of it, uh, of this section of the prayer. The, the last few verses, verses 24 through 26, say this. He goes on, he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And so I just want to highlight especially the fact that another one of the purposes of all this that Jesus brings out as he, as he closes his prayer is that uh, the love, he prays that the love of God and the Son may be in his people may be in his disciples. And remember, that includes you and me. 
and just note for a second the beauty and the power of this idea of being brought into the divine relationship, that eternal relationship of love between Father, Son, and Spirit that existed before the world was made. Uh, the love that is existent within God has been extended to us, specifically through Jesus on the cross, taking our sin and guilt onto himself and extending his righteousness to us, authorizing us, giving us the incredible privilege of being welcomed as holy and righteous and blameless and forgiven and just before God. Uh, both for us to experience, for us to be the recipients of it, and for us to be the reflectors of it to others. And I, I also thought it was important to note too that like Jesus here in verse 25 calls God the Father the righteous Father, knowing that the cross is coming soon. And it's, it's sometimes uh, a popular idea to sort of pit Jesus and the Father against one another. Like God the Father is, is sort of this bully or cruel or... Um, something like that. And, and then Jesus is the one who, who's sort of cool and understanding and gracious. And he comes and he gets between us and the Father. And if you extend that idea further, you'd have to say that really Jesus and the Father have different ideas of righteousness. And this is just another indication that, that is, that's just not the case at all. Jesus sees the Father as righteous. Jesus wasn't the unwilling participant in the cross. But, but, but the cross was God the Father's love and God the Son's love and God the Spirit's love. God's love together, unified, devising a plan to rescue humanity, to do whatever needed to be done that God might save his people. And so Jesus can call, even knowing he's moments away, perhaps from being arrested, the same night, he can say, righteous Father. And, and, and he wants to continue to make sure that in his prayer, that, that 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 righteousness and that love and that goodness of the Father will be found in Jesus's people. That last line, that the love with which you have loved me, Father, may be in them and I in them. And so once again, that's, that's the theme that he's hit on multiple times. Um, I think as many times as it comes up, it's worth paying attention to. This is in some ways the heartbeat of Christianity, knowing and experiencing the love of God and letting that motivate our, our, our knowing and loving of our neighbors uh, for their good. And ultimately that, that the gospel would go out in greater and greater power, that more and more people would come to experience that love of God and that love of the Christian community. And so Jesus prays that for us. We should pray it for ourselves and then we should throw ourselves at him and just plead that he would supply us the strength and the courage and the graciousness and the wisdom and everything else necessary to be able to live into that faithfully. That is a major part of Jesus's prayer for you and for me. And may that be our prayer as well.